All right, all right. Ken, how are you? Let's get you back on stage. Hello. I am uh wait, am I on mute or are you on? No. I don't have am I? I didn't have my audio on, so I didn't hear anything. <laughs> Welcome back. How you doing, my friend? I, I declare a mulligan on today. You know, I think we need to uh, redo it. Happened just now. I yeah. was checking to make sure that we were on YouTube and then I hit control W to close the window, except the window that was selected was actually the studio. So. <laughs> I'm starting to suspect every single time, you know, it's this slow, I'm starting to get these hints where you just don't want to be on the show with me, right? It's either you boot me off, you have me Technically, restart. The show, so I don't know how. No, but that's did. the thing. Like you, you are subtly starting to move yourself out of these things. Now you won't be joining this quarter space as well. I mean, I'm starting to take a hint, get the hint here, where you know this is starting to be one of those like. I doubt you know, it. You've never been that good at taking hints. Um, Wait, what? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, uh, to the Created Economy. Uh, this is our weekly interview series where we interview voices and players from the creator economy at large, and we discuss key topics that are relevant to the growth and success of creators everywhere. We do go live on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific time, so we do hope that you will tune in. If you want to catch any future episodes, uh, find out about when we're going live next, head over to created.show. It is the official show page uh, for our show. Uh, in addition, we do have long-form content over at createdeconomy.com where we post show notes and links and a whole bunch of other things. Actually, not that many other things, but um, but you should still go there anyway. You can sign up for email updates and you'll get notified about other things that we do. Um, but we do go live and stream with video on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, um, sometimes LinkedIn, and we do go live with audio. Oh, Ken, did you start the room? Yeah, I sent you an invite, dude. See, I right. dropped a hint earlier on too, and you didn't get it. See, see, there's so many moving pieces in the modern streaming ecosystem. Uh, and like here, I can't even see Ken's, the Ken's live. Like, I, I don't even know where that is. Uh, where didn't did you, you get a, I sent you an invite to speak. Didn't you get a little pop-up in your, in your, see, that's the problem. You're on iPhone, I'm Android. I think this is one of those oh, green, green bubble, wait, blue bubble type of things. Uh, there's this thing at the top to show you where the spaces are. But Yeah, that's where oh, fleets here. used to be. Remember what I see are? you. Uh, I'm joining as a speaker. Start listening. Cool. There we go. Hey, everybody. Hey, everyone on Twitter. So, yes, we do stream on Twitter spaces in case you are, uh, are missing out on anything. Um, but uh, just a little bookkeeping. Today is October 20th. Welcome. We are almost through the end of the year. 24 days until November 13th. I know that much at least because I have a very big event coming up on that day. Um, we have This is episode 21 of Created Economy, our interview series. But of course, we also have like another 10 or 11 or 12 on Creative Briefs. And we've had a, even a few Office Hours episodes now. So welcome. Thank you to the Welcome to our ecosystem. Uh, we do have three shows, as I just mentioned. Tuesdays, we do office hours for the creator economy. Wednesdays, we do this interview series. And Fridays, we do the news. So if you have an article or something of interest, by all means, make sure you message us so we can try to cover it. Give us a follow if you don't mind. Uh, we are Created Economy everywhere, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Twitch, uh, and Flipboard. Ken does curate that Flipboard uh, with lots of links, so make sure you get over there and check it out as well. Uh, we are also doing an AMA drop. In case you don't know, the AMA coin is a rally token, is our social token, is the official token of our, our show. 
You can grab some over at bit.ly slash AMA hyphen drop hyphen eight. Or if you're watching, scan that QR code. Uh, there is 1.21 AMA on the line for you. That is free money, friends. So that's like more than $2 right now you can go get. Uh, but more importantly, you can show your support and your love for the community by holding on to those coins. Uh, we'll have to make sure we send some to Amber as well. Uh, so she is in the in the queue with us. Uh, we also do have a Slack. Uh, we largely filled with builders, creators, some investors, and a few other creators. Um, but we encourage you to give us a join over there. Uh, it is where we talk about what we plan for the shows, uh, you know, and sort of work towards sort of what's coming up in the future episodes. It's also a good way to make sure if you want to be a guest, uh, the folks in there usually get first priority. So feel free to join our Slack. Uh, it's at bit.ly slash created hyphen Slack, just in case you need that. And today, without further ado, let's get to the real business. We have our friend Amber Case here with us today. Um, we've been waiting a while for this. You know, I guess the hard part with the way we do our show is that we find out who we're going to have on the show like months in advance, right? <laughs> and so every episode, like probably like every time we've done the news, I've thought, man, I wish we had Amber here because like our show on the news is sort of turned into like some random collection of news about the crypto space in one way or another. Um and so, yeah, you know, we end up with uh, constantly having topics of like, damn, I wish we'd talked to Amber already because like we would have some more talking points here. But either way, we are lucky and honored to have you here today. Welcome. How are you? Oh, oh, unmute. Hey. <laughs> there uh, we go. <laughs> Hi, I'm well. Good to see you. Good to have you back. It's been a long time. I think the last time... Was it the last time the three of us were together? We were having drinks at the Four Seasons on at Market Street in San yeah. Francisco. Good times. Co co-working. No, 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 no. I think that was uh, oh, Ken had a real 19. job. Oh, yeah, I, I, right before the pandemic. Yeah, right yeah, before yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, pretty crazy. That was a fun time, though. Um, good conversation, good hanging. Absolutely. Um, but uh, before we dive in, and we have a lot of questions that Ken and I have come up with in our own brains, but uh, anyone in the studio, if you have questions, there's a little question mark on the right-hand side. You can click that to add questions for Amber. If you're listening on uh, Twitter, feel free to join us at created.show slash live if you want to get into the studio environment so you can actually ask a question in person. Uh, if not, feel free to drop a DM to us. But um, Amber, do you want to tell us a little bit about you? You have this... Uh, Incredible background that spans a number of topic areas that is really, I can see the thread between them, but it can seem completely like your arms are around the world. So can you tell us a little bit more? Sure, sure. Uh, let's see. I, I grew up in the suburbs of Denver, Colorado to two parents what? that were broad. You know, I live in Denver now, right? No, I didn't know that. I live in F Stapleton, now called Central Park. Oh, wow. They renamed it. That was the airport. When I there. Yes. It was a terrible airport. It's probably better as a park. It's a terrible airport named after a racist, which is why they renamed it. <laughs> they, could, they could have just not named it that. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, great. Well, cool. Um, yeah. So, I, I grew up in Denver and my parents were broadcast engineers. So, they put television on the air. Uh, my dad was, you know, kind of the audio guy. My mom was master control operator, which meant that. She literally hand spliced in the 80s and 90s, hand spliced commercial reels into different channels by hand. And then if something went wrong, she would get like a little screwdriver and fix it. Um, this was the highest paid, uh, most, most technically 
involved job at the TV station. Um, so she kind of, uh, she ended up beating a lot of, uh, she, she had to, um, she had to prove her worth. So she went and did all these engineering tests, all these answers. And when she, when she got the test right, she put it up on the bulletin board at the TV station. And uh, she said, okay, now I can be master control operator. She started as a secretary at the station, by the way. And then wow. one of the guys came through and said, so what do you want to do? And she said, well, I want to do master control. And he said, okay. And then just said, well, you have to do this, this, and this. And she said, okay, I'll do those things. Did the things, became master control operator in Salt Lake City, Utah. So my parents were kind of, they were SLC punks. That movie is about their social group. Um, so I grew up, so they, they left Salt Lake City when I was six months old, moved to Denver, didn't have any friends or family there. And I grew up as an only child, basically in pandemic style conditions. We had nobody over except for a handful of my parents' friends who are from Japan, China, Lebanon, and Nigeria, and that's it. So, and then I didn't have exposure to television except for Star Trek and uh, a handful of soap operas. We didn't have cable. <laughs> and so I grew up on Star Trek and the 1960 World Book Encyclopedia and my parents didn't want to watch TV when they came home because they put it on the air. So when I finally got to preschool, I had absolutely nothing in common with any of the four-year-olds. And I was the weirdo. Um, so that pretty much kind of set up my whole life right there. It was, oh, you're going to eventually do anthropology. You're going to eventually like look at these, these kind of distances between technology. I grew up with an Atari computer um, as if it were the family dog. Um, when it died and did kind of a memory test and memory check, uh, I mourned it like an, like a dying animal. Uh, I had a tape recorder that I recorded into instead of doing podcasts because it was the 90s. And when that died and I couldn't fix it anymore because I would fix it, uh, I buried it in the backyard and gave it a funeral. So I didn't I really didn't get along with kids at school pretty much. <laughs> I would have been very popular had I grown up today, like very, very popular with my own show and podcast. But it turns out that, um, you know, I, I got really into tech and reading the, the World Book Encyclopedia from 1960 with a big computer that's the size of a gymnasium. That was that was like, oh, and then the computer on my desktop is this small. So it can kind of compete with my dad. Where's technology going? Is it shrinking? One day in the palm of your hand, you'll be able to tell everything about everyone around you, Facebook and, and, and you know, all these these predictions. Um, so, um so, you know, and, and then, of course, like I learned about crypto right when it came out in 2009, which was really interesting. And of course, I'm kind of a late early adopter. I like to see how people experience it from the outside and then like slowly involve myself in it. So um, I did a bunch of tech, uh, didn't know you could get paid to do tech, got an internship with Mayor Wellington Webb in Denver uh, to make websites when I was 14. Um, this is the first time like people were like, you could do something. And then um, my mom's best friend said, you should go to school for the thing that you're the worst at. So I went to school for anthropology and sociology because I always got the worst grades in social studies. And that has created this, you know, the strange human that I am today, which is not looking at, hey, we can build tech and it's great. But what's actually preventing people from adopting tech? And do we actually need all of this tech anyway? So that's like a a TLDR of like my whole childhood, um, but uh, it hopefully <laughs> explains a little bit about like how my brain is shaped. I uh, I also have a sociology degree. Um, interestingly enough, uh, it was a it was a fun topic, but I was pre med and got into med school. So. <laughs> oh, interesting. 
Yeah. So, and then I became an engineer. So uh, go figure that out. Uh, and much like you, uh, in my old office, in my early bootstrapping days where I lived in my office on 14th Street in Manhattan, we only had an old CRT monitor that picked up like two channels. And so basically it was like WPIX. And I would only watch Star Trek reruns late at night also. Uh, we had a VCR, but it, we only had like uh, Far and Away or something. It was like one tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, interesting. So, I mean, so very diverse. But I, what I love is um, sort of the breadth. The humanity really is sort of like, in spite of it, like even saying like, though you were isolated, it, it actually instills a different sense and a more important sense of humanity, I think, into a person. Right. And I know you you led a movement. Uh, you still lead a movement. Your, your book is about something called ComTech. Right. Can you explain what that is real quick for everybody? Sure. Yeah. So when I was writing my thesis in college on mobile phones, I was writing my thesis on the iPhone in 2007. The iPhone had just come out. It was a huge deal uh, to me. Nobody else really cared. But I wrote this thesis about how it's going to warp um, school and work and play and identity and community and how people will sit there and tap on the screens and how like the interface is, is liquefied. And I found this um, kind of kind of a disused set of articles called Calm Technology from Xerox Park in the 80s and 90s. And they, they said, you know, the least amount of technology is the best and you know, something should work even when it breaks and it, it should use the least amount of our attention, that attention will be the scarce resource, not technology. They were from the founders of ubiquitous computing. Two of them had died. One of them was was off um, hanging out uh, with with First Nations tribes and just listening and not publishing. And so I, I found this and I said, well, the people didn't live to see the ubiquitous computing come out. And um, and this is what people need to hear now. This is this is the you know a framework. So I kind of <laughs> as a true Portlander, I I get things from the 90s and like kind of bring them to the to the forefront. But, uh, you know, here was some some 90s ideas uh, about calm technology and how we could design our technology more of technology universals. I think that people think that technology changes a lot, but really humans stay the same and technology stays the same. Most technology does exactly the same thing. There's a database of people, there's a query, you know, that there's not that many differences, um, but it's all kind of a mess. And so I waited for someone to talk about calm tech. No one did, no one did. Started integrating it into my speeches. They were very low rated speeches because no one wanted to hear in 2013 about notifications and the, the coming era of notification fatigue and that we would get tired of our devices. They're like, no, this is great. Um, and so I had to give these talks about calm technology uh, on, on ears that didn't want to hear them and, until I could, you know, until the, the kind of climate matched up. And then, uh, and I wrote a book on it and the book has taken me around the world. Uh, Windows 11 is based on calm tech. That's what they wrote in in the latest post. Google used the guidelines for their wellness framework. I learned they hired an agency to adopt the book into these wellness guidelines. There's a company in Japan called Mui, uh, called Mui that is um, creating and they've created an entire startup based on calm tech. That's like reuniting traditional woodworkers and high tech workers so that they can live in the same place their parents are retiring. It's been really interesting. Um, And mostly I'm just trying to usher it into the next generation. Like I'm just the caretaker and hopefully somebody else will take care of the ideology after me. But I I see it as like a multi-generational 
way of looking at technology that there's technology, there's media, and if your tools are made poorly, they turn against you. And for the longest time, we evolved alongside our tools. Uh, and now many people are using tools that are built by a few people. And there are some, some issues with that. That's why, partially why things are such a mess. So I think this all kind of probably leads into Web3 uh, because we're seeing very similar things happen in that space. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious though, like uh, Amber, the, the fact that you're in that anthro anthropological type of field is absolutely fascinating because as we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, it's they're approaching these these issues in terms of building their startups with a with a mission right they're like they they it's not yours is coming from a side of curiosity you know as opposed to i have this mission i have this problem i want to solve this and therefore i do this and then oh what else can this be evolved to do this and this and this you are reversing that process in in, in from based on everything that you've done in the past like okay let me look at what's happening in technology and find out why are people so stressed and so anxious. And okay, now we get back to calm tech. And you're not the only one that's doing this. There's a lot of these, uh, we, know, we know a bunch of uh, friends and, and peers who are out there um, protesting what, what technology such as Facebook and Google and Apple are doing uh, to, to our mental health and the way of life. Uh, but I'm curious in terms of that anthropological mindset, how you have, you know, how that has guided you th through throughout your, your career in terms of like going to uh, doing, doing, working on a startup in, in mapping, right. To, yeah. and, and selling that to Esri, right. And it's like, that was, that was an amazing uh, uh, project to working with Mozilla uh, and now to unlock protocol and everything else in between, you know, because most people might think might try and wedge you into one particular thing, like, oh, you're 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 only about calm tech. That's it. You you talk about you know mapping. Wait, wait, that's that's a that's a narrative violation, right? What's going on? But your 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 curiosity knows apparently knows no bounds. So I'm kind of fascinating to to kind of see where how this led you to where you are today. Uh, and let sure. me I just ask a little tweak on that because it to me it's curiosity is obviously a part of it. I feel almost like you it's like you're approaching it from a consequence point of view, right? Like because it feels like you're working and to Ken's point, it feels like to some degree you work backwards from what the outcome is of a thing back to a place, right? And then try to find these like, you know, first sort of ideas, principles that exist there to see how to leverage them, you know, or sort of improve them, I guess. Right. So, sorry, I just wanted to I, I yeah, think you're right. Really yeah, Greg, you're, it's almost like that. Um, who is who are those uh, insurance people that kind of like help you to mitigate risk or whatever? I don't know what the actuaries. actuaries yeah. yeah, it's like you're you're an actuary for technology, right? And and I don't mean that. And I don't no, mean no, that in a, in a negative way. about is that 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 technology companies operate without consequence, right? Like you know that we just do shit and we don't care how what happens, right? Like mm -hmm. or what it does or we don't. All these unintended consequences were totally foreseeable. So, yeah. so then you look at Web three, and it's like, is Web three the part where we kind of realize, okay, Web two was was a like Web one was okay, great, we kind of had the foundation. Web two was like, okay, here's interactivity. Oh, oh, uh oh, it's starting to become a oh wow. What when do we walk into this dumpster fire? Web three, all right, 
let's blow it all up and let's let's fix things. Like, mm -hmm. can we let's let's talk all about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so there are a series of mental tricks that I use that are really straightforward. One is you just invert whatever axis, you just plot something on an axis and just invert it in order to see something. So let's say, um, so PetNet, for instance, uh, PetNet was like, never worry about feeding your pets again. We have an automated pet feeder. You plug it in, you're set, all done. Well, of course they had it, uh, they had the, the pets get fed through a scheduling system that was managed by a remote server. And when the power went out and, or the server went down, um, a bunch of pets were stranded without food and water. This was a huge issue. So I, you know, I tweeted at them on, on Twitter and I said, so you didn't put the basic care and feeding of the pet and yet on your box, your virtual box, you say, don't worry about it. And yet in your terms of service, you say, you agree not to use pet net for any critical purposes of you or your pet. So I, it, there, there was no lawsuit. It was pets. It didn't matter. No pets died, but it was this idea that, people in, in the world, they're like, oh, you can trust technology, it's new. You should trust the newer version versus the old X10 controller that you can put in your house that just feeds the pet. You know, it should have number one, a backup system if it goes offline. Um, it shouldn't just reset the clock, it should have an internal battery so that it can set the clock timer and automatically work. And then when it comes back online, feed that battery back up so it can go up to two weeks without battery power. I mean, these are basic high quality, blue collar engineering standards, redundancy. If you look at it, like the Masons, they take pride in their work. There's the idea of a crafts, craftspersonship where there is something where something is, is made for generations, especially in, in, in Japan, you have like 800 years of a single family making lacquerware or making roofing tiles. You bet they have seen every single edge case that's ever happened. And they can inform if they're, if they're going to do something new, they can, they can inform something. And of course you look at some companies that, you know, that, that made rice cookers and then ended up making electronics, you know, um, and, and they made mistakes along the way. And I think it's really important to say like, people should be making mistakes, but they should be making mistakes by telling people this is a new thing and you can make mistakes. And I encourage everyone to read Mark Weiser and John Seeley Brown's, um, you can go to get it on uh, calmtech.com where I've archived all of their work. Uh, it's, it's the technologist's responsibilities in the 21st century. And literally it just says, tell someone you're doing something dangerous and tell them what the dangers are and put that up front. You know, we are seeing this in crypto. There are lots of different messages all over the place that say you could, you could have your money stolen. You could have your, you know, there are scams everywhere. Um, I think it is, you know, if we if we look at the difference between Web 1.0 and Web 2.0, and I always bring the fractal analogy in, it's like a fractal is it can be kind of like empty, and then if you play it over time, it gets really complex, and then it empties out. So we had a, a period of time where like the fractal was was really complex. We had all these individual sites, GeoCities, Angel Fire, you know, were the biggest hubs, and then all these individual websites, people running servers in their closet. You didn't have to worry about. DDoS attacks. I mean, maybe hamster dance would go down every once in a while. And this was an issue. And the million dollar homepage came out. And then what happened was people started to make their own blogs. And at South by Southwest Multimedia 2002 or whatever, you had your name tag and say, hi, my website is. It wasn't, hi, my name is. And this was really important because people were starting to, you know, do these updates. And then everyone was subscribing to everyone's updates on RSS and Atom feed readers and it could digest both of them but then the rss and atom 
working groups got into a fight and the 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 big um kind of outcrushing of that fight was a centralized place that you could subscribe from you know super feeder or, or like a more like a facebook or twitter you would go into an ecosystem and the feed reader and the social profile were glued together and that's what created the kind of web 2.0 that no longer would you build your own stuff. And so we lost the ability to build our own stuff. Now you have to have several thousand people to build a subscription service for the templated selves that you have on Facebook and Twitter. With Web3, we're seeing people take that back with, with ENS and Handshake, all these like decentralized names and um, try to get that back. And what we're going to see is, you know, the, the, the biggest, uh, the biggest thing of change, you know, to, to joke about NFTs, NFTs are like the toy that gets everyone to get a web wallet and get some Ethereum. But what they're really doing is your identity will be stored in that web wallet in the future. Your identity will be tokenized. People, you know, photographers are trying to put their NFTs online and they don't understand that NFT collections are not a series of pictures that you buy. It's a series of memberships. And that if there's 10,000 of them, you purchasing them allows that tokenized membership where you can log in as the NFT holder. That's authentication. And that completely flips the model of OAuth and authentication to from, from you know, and looking in the Q&A, it's like, you know, you have the login with Google, Facebook, Twitter. No, it's login with your NFT, login with your membership. In the future, it will be log into your portal with your own tokenized health data so that you can get to the multiple sclerosis web forum or discord or whatever we're going to have. So I think of NFTs as kind of these three stages is like the tip of the iceberg that everybody sees is the NFT JPEG. The next stage is these, these memberships. The third stage is authentication. And that, you know, I always try to look at the deeper story. Like when we, when we look at, you know, we plant a plant and nothing happens, it's because, you know, for the first 14 days, there's roots forming under the soil. And that's what we're seeing right now. And then everybody reports on the little spring that comes up on top and they miss all of the root system that's coming up. So, uh, you know, my, my encouragement for everybody is to look at things much more deeply and then play like a kid in these zones. And to whenever something's really, really silly, like, you know, the fart app with the iPhone, like you press a button and it makes a fart sound. What that did for the iPhone was more than almost any other app did. And here's why. If you were 14 years old, seeing that fart app come out, you could fork that code and write your own iPhone app as a 14 year old and contribute measurably to the ecosystem. And guess what? 10, 15 years later, you probably are a full-time app developer and that has paved the way for your own monetization. So when we look at creators and 14 year olds playing around with this stuff now and having a good time, you bet they're going to be the people making money in this ecosystem in the future and showing stuff with other people. So this is, yeah, this is an answer to your question. Like there are more than that, way more. It's mm -hmm. really, really interesting to see um, what they are. And I think also to think about, you know, I, I, I work with Unlock Protocol. Um, the reason I, I joined this startup is I, I was looking for something like this that wanted to be a protocol behind the scenes. So Unlock Protocol allows you to do NFTs as memberships. So I could say, I'm going to make the Amber Case Club, which I've not made. But in order to join the club, you can buy an NFT. 
And you don't have to buy it on the Ethereum network because it's really expensive, although you can. You could buy it on Matic Polygon, which has very small transaction fees or XDAI. And then once you have it in your wallet, you can go to any of my properties that have the NFT membership enabled. So you could go to my website and access a special area. You could enter my Discord channel by typing in unlock and a little program called SortyBot will actually let you in to my Discord to special things. I could have different levels of membership. It expires as well, or you can have an unlimited one. You can have select amounts. So it's really deepening what NFTs can do and bringing superpowers to them. So, so I was really, I really like utilities. I like stuff that like seems boring as behind the scenes, which is why I care about calm tech. Um, but like thinking forward into all of this stuff, it's you know this is this is what will this is what we'll be doing, <laughs> you know. And and um, we are in kind of the stage of dial up where where it's kind of a mess right now. Um, but I think it's really crucial to like have a really nice time. And I think, you know, one of the other questions to, to answer is like, everyone has a dif different definition for web three and what's mine. I think it's, you know, any, any group of people that are building something that's, you know, it should be decentralized, right? So even OpenSea, which isn't super decentralized is not totally decentralized. Um, it should be ideally self-sovereign that kind of goes along with the decentralization. Um, it, you know, typically Web3 uses some sort of cryptocurrency to, you know, be on the blockchain, right? Um, it should be like social and community based. I think we're going from, you know, as, as my mentor Sheldon Renan says, we're going from homo sapiens to homo connectus, going from individualist Protestant um, culture, which divides us and shoves us into little apartment buildings all over the place. It like makes us upset. You can read uh, you can read De Tocqueville to learn more about that. Um, but uh, instead of that, we're going towards like swarm behavior where like we want to be part of community. We desperately want to be part of community. So with with Web3, you can kind of roll your own communities. Um, and I think finally, like Web3, if it's really good, it's playful. It's silly. You know, the Bored Ape Yacht Club is a bunch of degenerates that, that, that bought into something because it was funny. They didn't, you know, if you looked at it from like, let's say a traditional venture capitalist thing or like a very uptight scarcity mindset thing, um, I don't think it would be, you know, even though we look at NFT sets, it's like scarce and rare, you know, but, but there's, you know, when you see a new kind of culture come about, they have their own words and we have you know, GMI and GM and NGMI, <laughs> like, you know, aping in and like, you know, hodl, like we have a zillion of these words. And so, you know, as, as an anthropologist, it's really important to go and look and see what are the aesthetics? There are significant aesthetics in this space. And what are the words? This is, this is a legitimate, like cultural moment. Um, yeah. It's interesting though, because I feel like the, the counter argument is that actually you're perpetuating exactly the things you're saying we're solving, right? Like, um, so for example, the idea that, you know, we're all in buildings. Well, guess what? Now we can't even see the buildings because there's an infinite number of buildings and most of them are underground, right? Um, we trade in a complicated medium or an expensive medium, which is exclusionary mm -hmm. kind of by default, right? Um, you know, we, um, the community part is only, it's all, it's almost all pay to play, right? Like in to some degree, right. Or some variant of it ultimately. Right. If I don't have the, 
the um, the luxury of time to sit around and accumulate the points, the points, the tokens, whatever it may be, I have even less representation than before when I was like guaranteed representation, maybe like say by a government, right? Like where like there's a constitution that's, you know, used to at least, you know, tell people they could vote. Um, you know, so I guess like this seems like a tension to me. Um, right. like, like I'm, I'm with you. Like I, I hear you in, in, in yeah. sort of like in, in the, in the hope it is the Star Trek of, you know, the, the, the sort of the world right yeah. right but should like, there be uh, a standard like uh, and, and like even when star trek there's there's a certain type of standard at least in the currency standpoint right i mean they the like all different worlds <laughs> yeah they have yeah ex exactly well that's true gold press um, <laughs> yeah yeah it, of course it's gold press um yeah so to to you know to your point like this is why you know with with the mozilla fellowship that um that I'm doing this year is my focus is on all of the different creators and all the different groups that are making this more accessible. So for instance, like this wouldn't have necessarily been accessible to me because it, you know, it, there's, there's so many kind of hoops that you jump through, but then you look at, and I would encourage you to look at efforts like grant for the web grant for the web is a hundred million dollar grant that um, gives out, they're going to give out all of that money to, uh, communities that are working on web monetization and they have a different perspective. So they use, they use interledger, which actually allows you to receive streaming payments to your web wallet um, as a creator. Um, and you don't have to pay any transaction fees. So this is a very different approach interledger um, and the interledger foundation. Uh, the, you know, one of the, one of the, the ways that you can use it is through Coil. You can subscribe for $5 a month. And then wherever you go on the web, if it's web monetized, then you're actually paying the, the creator directly. And there's there's no fees. So this is a new kind of protocol. I think we can kind of go back to the fundamental problem that all of the things that we're seeing on the web are trying to solve right now. And the problem comes from the beginning of the web, which was you have the 404 not found. And that was filled out. We know how to use that. We can put a cool cat on the page. But 402 is a lesser known error code. And 402 says payment required. 402 payment required in the original text when the web came out said reserve for future use. Which means we, you know, we never, that was never made. That protocol for payment online was never made. And that's why we have PayPal and eBay and like a zillion other payment methods. So until kind of, blockchain crypto came out, it wasn't really possible to make a payment protocol for the web at that level. And of course, when you try to make a standard, unless you're making MIDI, which is the only one to really come through, um, thanks to a group of enthusiastic Japanese people, uh, you cannot have, um, you can't just like say, let's make a new standard because you'll end up having 15 standards instead of, you know, the 14 that you started with. Um, so it's, it's really important to kind of look at like, People are trying to solve this problem in different ways. None of them are solving it completely. Each one is hard to use in its own way. Um, but what Grant for the Web and, and that section of this kind of Web3 ecology is doing is they're giving money to places like Artist Rescue Trust, where they delivered lots and lots of money to artists during the pandemic. And all you had to do to accept the money was like fill out a profile and then watch a video on how to add a very tiny line of code to your website so that you could be like discoverable and 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 get paid 
and then they would give you money as well. So it was it was a lot more interesting of, I don't think, you know, this is a hard thing to learn as an individual. I'll say that like, I got a much deeper understanding of this um, by hanging out in Clubhouse, um, by hanging out in like lots of different groups. Um, like when I grew up, uh, one of my best friends was from Nigeria. So when I go on Clubhouse, there's always like Nigerian groups. And so I'm able to like go in there and like, first off kind of feel more at home, but also like the way that different people digest information and provide it to the community um, is really important. So I think with this, it's like, it is hard to get into this. <laughs> um, and I think people should, but I also think it's a group effort. And I think that, you know, some of the community, especially like what I've seen in Portland, Oregon, and some of the little Ethereum conferences, like if you go in with an open mind, um, and, and you don't say like, I don't belong <laughs> and you go there to have fun and meet people are super kind. People are lovely and warm and nice, especially you can get involved with a decentralized autonomous organization. It's not one of these gatekeepy things. In fact, if you go and ask one of your friends, Hey, can you help me set up a web wallet and get into crypto or like help me integrate web monetization? They'll be like, yeah, <laughs> and they'll sit down with you and they'll help you out. So I think it's everything a different starts nice though, right? Not everyone's nice. No, I mean, you have to. No, but I'm saying like everything starts nice, right? Everything like, starts nice. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see where it goes. I, I, I think it's more like, this is a very special point in time, kind of like early social media where the friends yeah, that you make yeah. here are for life. So try to make as many friends as you can I, before I, it gets you know, weird. Just feel you know? a lot like that, right? Like, like Ken yeah. and I Today was my 15 year anniversary with Brian, right? Like on Facebook, right? Like so, <laughs> so like it, you know, it is crazy that way. By the way, Mark, I did bring you up. If you do want to ask your question, feel free to. Uh, I'm happy to add you to the stage, and you can ask your question. Uh, Ken, I know you had a number of questions as well. Did you want to try to? Yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of want to summarize. Uh, uh, let me see if I can make it as succinct as possible here. Uh, Amber, the the something that you brought up just now in terms of like, Hey, you know, you, you it's the early days of social media. It feels like it's the early days of social media where you can cut, you know, go up and, and make a lot of friends and Hey, help me build this. How do you do this? And I think there's a lot of opportunity in the web three space, whether, you know, if you're going to do into decentralized blockchain, Bitcoin, crypto, whatever you want to call it. Right. There's also a lot of uncertainty. Right. And we, you, in, on this show, we talk to creators, we talk to builders that are targeting creator economy. And for somebody, again, with your curious background, how do you, what advice would you give to these creators who are like, Hi, I want to get into the, you know, do this tokenized version. I want to monetize my work. I want to do this and that, but I don't, I don't want to necessarily, it's not necessarily about picking a winner or a loser. It's more like, I just don't want to get screwed. So how, what kind of questions should these people be asking in order to uh, figure that out? And tangentially related, is this space, is there enough space? Should we be relying on the big, big tech companies to like offer some of these services, decentralized, decentralized services? Or is this the, is this a market where you're going to see like the open seas of the world, uh, you know, the, uh, the unlocks of the world kind of really dominating and and facebook and google and apple are like uh-oh we don't have our our time to shine is over yeah i mean i think the future is a combination of those things right because we'll always have multiple futures we will still have a lot of people like 
we still have 2 million subscribers for AOL, right? It's just, there's going to be more what? options. Yeah. Dial up. They're all in dial up. I think we still yep. have a lot of subscribers for Second Life too. There's plenty of people in there, right? So, so we have to think that like, there's still going to be people on Facebook. If they're alive. <laughs> <laughs> more, more dead people on Facebook than living people on Facebook. And, wow. um, at some point that has to happen. Um, and, you know, we'll still see people using these services, right? Um, but we'll also have people branching out and going into new spaces. What I want to see is people from different backgrounds and perspectives messing around. And I think that's kind of where like the VR comes in and kind of more of the metaverse is that, you know, and I'm really supportive of, of roll your own NFT galleries like Zora versus OpenSea. OpenSea is not decentralized, Zora is more, Zora is decentralized. Um, but also kind of, I would encourage people to go to meetups. Like when I got out of college, I, you know, I didn't come from, I, I had a, <laughs> I didn't come from money. <laughs> so um, when I got out of college, which I went to on a big scholarship um, after just really struggling at the schools that I went to, to, to get good enough grades, um, I graduated into the recession in Portland, Oregon. And I went to tech meetups because there was free food and it was the best way to get free food because I couldn't afford to eat. Um, and in doing so, I got fed and I got to learn a bunch. <laughs> and then I eventually, you know, did did my startup after that um, and partner with people. So it wasn't about, you know, I, I never sat there and said, I don't belong in this room. I think once you start to do that, it becomes like a truth. You have to say, oh, I'm really interested in exploring this new space. Um, I can be a, a fly on the wall for a while. And then eventually I started giving presentations and, you know, the community welcomed me in. So I think that's kind of the same with Web3. Like I see a lot of people just join a DAO and start to do stuff after work or on the side and interesting stuff happens. Like eventually, you know, one of the biggest roles right now that people are trying to, to find is community management, which is hilarious because they don't want to hire community managers at Facebook, you know, because it's such a big, such a big company. You have to have the content uh, moderators and stuff like that, but it's not community manager. It's not somebody sitting there in all of these fights trying to detangle them because fighting on Facebook makes Facebook money, but fighting within a DAO loses the DAO opportunity fighting within, you know, a discord channel just, just causes chaos. So there's an incentive now for people to like actually remember group dynamics and like be kind to each other um, so that people can work together in these smaller groups. So I think we're just, we're seeing hopefully the web go from this monolithic scale to go back to to more human scale and you know people can create their own doubt like it's not impossible to do and you don't necessarily need to be a programmer to do all of these things um but you know and you can on weekends go to hackathons and learn it's it's you know it's it's a lot of work i i would take my full-time job and then i would go and do this work you know back in back in 2008 and you know i'm doing that again because it's because it's so important but i've had to kind of re-wake up my brain and get it kind of like silly putty again <laughs> so that i don't hold on to so many things or have an ego about anything um it's a hard mindset to to, to get on board with uh, especially if you come from a scarcity mindset but i would say you know that's kind of my advice <laughs> is to just participate and see you know and explore but i mean is there Oh, oh, go sorry. ahead. Go ahead, no, no, go ahead, Ken. I was just going to get to uh, 
Mark question, follow up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, it just in terms of for those that don't have ability to really go out, like for example, uh, to go out and meet with these, meet with uh, people that are building on on the decentralized web. Like for example, for this show, like if we were thinking, oh, how do we do our our own token, or how do we monetize the mm -hmm. show from a decentralized? There's so many so many services out there. I mean, it's it's yeah. not surprising. I mean, it's very similar to like, oh, if we want to incorporate some messaging services. What kind of, what would we do? We would use like, oh, ping us on WhatsApp, ping us on, you know, X, yeah. Y, and Z, right? But if you're like, okay, we want to really own this, this experience with, with our audience. I don't know where we don't, I don't know where to start. So what, what, like, that's what, the wrong look at these services. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a great, that's a great question. Two answers yeah, for you. Sharing. Yeah. Superhigh.com, S-U-P-E-R-H-I for superhighway, not superhigh stoner. But superhigh.com um, has a has a new crypto course, and it's really good. That's like I did a design and UX and programming refresher with them, um, and there it's semi affordable, <laughs> but it takes you through the entire way to do that on your own. Um, and the second one is, you know, if if you wanted to do more with decentralized NFTs and communities, you could make a token, or you could make a uh, an NFT with Unlock Protocol and allow it to to um, allow people to into your community. I've also talked, you know, with um, uh, with Jeremiah Oyang about, hey, Rally needs to decentralize so that you, you imagine if you had a certain amount of Rally tokens, being able to access somebody's Discord channel. You know, th these are really important things that. Um, you should be able to do because then, you know, your community can support you. But if rally goes away or like the centralized nature of that goes away, people can still, you can still access your community. And I think that's kind of like that decentralized Patreon type idea. But, but the super high course is really, really good because anybody with any level of expertise, you know, age 14 and up, uh, after taking that course, you can create your own NFT showcase. You can create your own social token and you can allow people into your site with that social token. So it says it, intermediate here on this, uh, this class. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's me. Are I you, think I need are you 14 to 16 because no. this may be a little advanced for you. So no, no, I, I think I'm gonna have to stick to LinkedIn learning and, and, and dumb it down for that way. So we'll just, we'll just post it on LinkedIn and then it'll be accessible. <laughs> <laughs> let's, um, let's go to Mark's question because I think it's kind of related to this side, this decentralized sort of, um, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit before, Amber, but uh, I'll jump to the part where he speaks um, uh, to Unlock in particular. Yeah. He says, to the extent that Unlock protocol is an access control layer for the web, how might it lay the groundwork for a decentralized single sign-on system that gives me access, security, and privacy all at the same time? Yeah, great question. I think, you know, if it, I was I was talking with, um, with one of the founders of Mintgate, who's the other token gating provider in the ecosystem. <laughs> There's only two right now uh, that, that do what we do and we're, we're partnering with each other, thankfully. So, um, but we were talking about if it's not us that's, that's in this ecosystem, we're, you know, we're the pioneers paving the way, you know, at some point down the road in a couple of years, someone will make the next version of it, right? Like we could be, you know, Angel Fire or whatever, or you know, Duck, duck not Duck, Duck, go, sorry, like Ask, Ask Jeeves or Lycos or something like that. Um, and and that you know, we're both talking about is like, is it okay to be you know, the Yahoo or the Lycos or, or whatever in this ecosystem? We're like, yeah, like we just need to get started to show people it's possible, and then people can make the next thing. So, either, 
either, you know, it's unlock allowing you to have tokenized data and able to log into other systems with that data and you own your data, you know, like I could have a tokenized proof of ownership of my house and log into Renfin with that and then have all of the records associated with that over time so that when I go to apply for insurance, I log in with the tokenized record of my house and the insurance policy is mapped out really well. Now, how do I audit that? Well, that's interesting. And like, how do I change that? Well, you have to have a, you know, an addendum, right? But you can do that. And instead of, of having it in this, this whole dislocated zone. So I think, it, you know, it's possible at some point that that could be what the future is. Um, whether it's unlock or not, we don't know. Um, but somebody's going to do it. And I'm hoping a handful of people will and that will be the norm of, of logging on instead of like can you explain though what how unlock works so i know it's called the unlock protocol mm -hmm. so to some extent it's sort of like you're offering like a, a hosted version of something that anyone could use though right yeah so so basically you go to the unlock protocol website and you click on the app and it allows you to build a lock and when you build your lock you can say this is my NFT lock. This is how long uh, it lasts. This is how much it costs. This is what network it's on. Um, this is, you know, how many people can use it. And then when you hit create, you mint it. Um, and then, um, or you like set it up <laughs> and then, um, and then you can put it on your own website or you can create your own checkout on your website. And so let's say unlock protocol, like goes down or goes away or loses all of its funding, no matter what, um, your lock and key will still work with MetaMask. So then let's say some somebody goes to my website and it says, here's, here's the unlock protocol checkout. That's all hosted on my website. And then somebody can click through and they can collect the NFT and then they can have access to my content or whatever. That's the direct integration that we want people to do. We also have a grant program where more people can do direct integrations um, with all sorts of different services. We have someone working on a really good WordPress plugin right now, for instance. Um, however, um, if you want to do it in the like less decentralized way, Unlock can host that checkout page for you. You can generate it as a URL and actually you can edit that URL and just by editing the URL, you can have it show different stuff. <laughs> so just URL editor, add different things onto that string it can be really long and you can shorten it. Um, but when somebody uses that, it will generate a checkout page for them that they can then pass through to get content. Um, and our partner Mintgate allows you to just tokenize links really easily. So let's say I want to have a token gated access to a, to a Dropbox link. You could have uh, it go through that. So that's how it works right now at the integration level um, and then at the kind of centralized level. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, look, I... To some extent, I understand like it, the, the transitionary period between sort of like the way people are used to things to where it can be. This feels like the reasonable trade-off, right? Like a very practical trade-off kind of in sort of like, you know, uh, that opportunity, right? Like in, in some ways, it's kind of like Stripe, right? Like Stripe has fundamentally these APIs, now, a little different because if the processor disappears, you're screwed, um, right? But but I think yeah. like the fact that you are sort of like persisting your, you know, these, these smart contracts essentially uh, and NFTs out, um, that's powerful. Um, and, and, and yes, like if, if folks need an intermediary or they don't, they don't have the same lasting 
needs for things that maybe exist, like in having a WordPress or some of these other things. This is a powerful concept, I think, for sure. Um, I actually had a question just to go back, if you don't mind, real quick to something you sort of mentioned about memberships, right? And you use that word um, in a way that I, I understand sort of like syntactically, but not practically, right? And so I was curious if you could distinguish like, from in my mind, I look at it like, like one NFT use case is like, here's a proof of purchase. It's a receipt that you did something that you, you know, there's Pope, like, oh, you were here, right? Or there's mm -hmm. like, hey, you bought this. And this essentially the, having the thing is the receipt that you bought it, right? You use the idea of it as a membership and which I, I actually, I like the idea of, but I, I view them almost like explicit versus implicit use cases, right? Like that photographer selling that piece of art may implicitly be selling sort of a receipt, but not, like, unless they actually manifest the membership part, right? Like then, then it's, it's still just a receipt of purchase. Is that, I'm just curious, like your thoughts in that arena and just how they are, how they may go. Yeah. Yeah. I think an explicit membership is like, you know, um, let's say like a, I don't know, Netflix, right? Like I'm a Netflix member and I'm joining and I get these benefits and implicit joining is more of like the board API club. I am buying this thing cause it's cool, but I'm actually implicitly joining this, you know, 5,000 or so minted um, community. And I think that's kind of the difference between the two is that sometimes, you know, or let's say I buy a pair of Nike shoes. I'm explicit, I'm not buying a membership when I'm buying one Nike pair of Nike shoe, but I am implicitly becoming a part of the consumer group that is part of the Nike culture. Yes. Depending yeah. on how much I wanna go into it or not, I cannot not be a part of that by simply wearing these emblazoned check marks on my feet. And so I think that's kind of the difference is that you can have it go both ways, but I think what was one of the surprises of the NFTs, you know, the, the, the JPEG monsters that they become is that that there was an implicit membership and and when people try to sell their photography online and, and mint you know a random set they're like no but it's not giving you anything more than that you're not even implicitly joining uh and so we don't want to buy and i think that's you know and i think also you know to one of the points you said before about like this being really expensive for people to join right now it's because people are actually people's participation in the ecosystem is funding the development versus, I mean, there's some venture capitalists, capitalists, mm -hmm. but, you know, various people with money doing the transaction fees are actually creating the system. So the, I think the reason why it's pay to play is that it's not for general consumers yet because the fees are still too high. It's not totally settled. There's like lots of ways to get your money trapped and like lose money. Um, but we're seeing a different funding model where the users are funding the system by participation, which is very different than here's the system that's been funded for you. And we're going to turn it off because we're venture capitalists, we're glorified money managers, and we have to get our money back because we raised it from, you know, the Harvard Kaufman foundation or the M&M Mars foundation, and they need to have high risk returns. So the, the motivations for people building stuff in this ecosystem are really different. And the funding models can be different as well. Yeah. So, Greg, I think it's uh, to the point of like between explicit or implicit. It's it's almost like if you like to to the point of Amber you're talking about with with Nike, right? It's like you can buy like 
whatever their version of the Fitbit was. I forget whatever it was. I, I think I had one back in the day, right? We got them at South by. <laughs> you yeah, did. I I actually, we all got them at South by. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I did not get, I paid for mine at the Nike store. I I, I'm a sucker for this. Anyway, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, but, but you, you, you bought it. You should have showed <laughs> well, they didn't have it back then. This was <laughs> ten years ago. But but you but you would buy a buy an item, and you you would be encouraged to sign up for their their fan club, their run club, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there was always an additional. There was always additional steps you had to take. It was never a, a seamless transaction, right? So to that to that point, there there was a sense of a membership, implicit and explicit. Like there was a receipt. Yeah. You bought it. You had the receipt for it, literally a receipt for it for the item. But that that item got you access into this membership. Now, I think with the with this aspect of NFTs, uh, Amber, like what you said earlier, like right now, everyone's seeing it as just a JPEG. It is just an item. It is just a picture. Like this is like can be an NFT. But that that's basically it. It's like a digital frame. But uh, uh, what I think what, to your point, what you're saying in the future, it's almost like it's a secret decoder ring, right? And and it and, and unlocks a lot of stuff. It's it's your new vault that gains you access into that. So you are even without you actually wanting it or not, you are you could potentially be gaining access to a subscription or, or a membership type of club and, and a, an exclusive club, so to speak, of of additional benefits depending on how well that creator is is supported. So, uh, like for example, we could do like for example. Uh, uh, I don't know, like if um, a, a band, a, an artist wants to say, hey, I'm putting out my uh, putting out an NFT for uh, of, of my album. Right. You can buy, you know, X number you gain. You buy that you're implicit. You're you're gaining the receipt for it. You're getting an, a, some, a collectible, but that could get get you access to future merchandise that's available for only uh, select groups. And it's almost like you go to like a um, like the battery in San Francisco where you know it's like a speakeasy, right? It's like a hit that hidden vault where you you know pull that book in that in that bookcase, and all of a sudden it opens. You're like, oh my god, when do I get into the secret bar or whatever? Like, I kind of think of it's it's almost like that. So, uh, I mean, I, but, but I think right now it, everyone's it, still thinking just right in front of us is just the images. Yeah. It's just well, James. we haven't digested we haven't digested this this entire meal, right? Like the appetizers, the NFT. We haven't even come to the main course yet for. Mm for what we're yeah. digesting that I think humans have a metabolism, like technology is always ready, but humans are not always ready for technology and they have the digestive period. So we're in that right now. Yeah. Well, I think there's also a powerful thing and it, you know, like a lot of people challenge kind of like the tenets of sort of, you know, why does it need to be de- decentralized in some of these pieces? Right. Um, one of the benefits, for example, though, right. Is that anyone can reward you for that membership or anyone can leverage that data to create new things right like which is super powerful right because previously if you had a bunch of nike points and adidas wanted to sort of like win you they would have to find some way to like you know figure out who you are figure out how many points you had build some kind of bridge or hack to like try to convert them but now it's like Mm -hmm. i see you got these nike points i want to give you adidas stuff though right like you've got Mm -hmm. it i can give it to you yeah, because you again, it's flipped, right? So everything that we knew is flipped because now, at first, right now, you compete for somebody's favor, right? Like you make a cool video and you're an influencer on YouTube or TikTok or whatever, and you maybe get like a promo. Um, but then it, it becomes like a, a system where like people are competing for your data, people are competing for your favor, right? So if I have the Nike 
NFT. And then Adidas is like all Nike uh, NFT owners are now airdropped this thing. And, and, you know, it's like this, this war of people giving you stuff um, and, and hopefully forcing people into good behavior um, in, instead of bad behavior. And the other thing is that if it's decentralized, um, people in these communities, especially DAOs, you know, they can buy NFL leagues, right? Like these decentralized autonomous organizations can pool together resources and then make changes, right? Like from silly one, like we saw like the Szechuan sauce, the Mulan Szechuan sauce with them, with Rick and Morty, right? That's an example, almost of a DAO, right? It didn't have money, but they got it. They brought it back. We saw Wall Street bets operating like a DAO, right? A little bit different, right? They're not pulling together the research, but they are making trades at a similar point in time. That I think that scares a bunch of bankers. Like, wow, this is going to be the future. Yeah. If you do a human rights injustice, maybe there will be a DAO that will be like, okay, we're not going to give our money to a bunch of nonprofits that just use it for administrative fees while their trust funds funded kids run the show and are mean to their employees. No, we're not going to do that. And we're not going to allow people to have tax write-offs for that. Actually, we're going to take money into our own hands and distribute it directly to the people in need. Imagine like helping people in Haiti, but directly. I, I talked with somebody who raised a half a million dollars for Haiti a while ago. And I said, how much of it made it into the hands of actual Haitians? And they were like, well, actually about $20,000 after the original half a million actually made it over. Wow. Why? Because of the administrative paperwork required to get that money into the country and how to disperse it and all of the fees and then who took parts of it on the way out and then 20K after I think eight months. So when we think about donating to nonprofits, you know, that are not transparent and we think about donating on the blockchain, well, it's very transparent and we can actually see how things are performing. I like the idea that I can just give somebody money who needs it and they can use this almost universal, you know, currency in some respects to, to do something right? Or they can hold it and it can become more valuable over time. So I just like that things are flipping around because honestly, I was pretty depressed for like the past bit of time because we were in the most beige web 2.0 version ever. Like I hated being a template itself in like the template itself mind where it was like every day I go up, I wake up and I fight with someone and I make Facebook money. Like how much of our day, six hours a day, four to six hours a day, are we spending working for four major companies making them money Mm -hmm. through ads, through our own emotions, that our emotions have been monetized, that the entire human language has been monetized through AdWords. Like this is why decentralization is interesting because those centralized identities are at odds with how we could be living as humans. It it is, it is. Frame on it though, like, because I feel like the normal run, the normal approaches to decentralization feel like anarchists, right? Like, yeah. and, or and I think that's what turns a lot of people off to it. But like the way <laughs> yeah. you just said it makes so much more sense, right? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's why it was hard for me to get into it too, because I was like, well, you need a lot of resources to be a libertarian, and and but like if you work with nature instead of against it, you can have all the resources. Nature does provide resources, so I think it's just. If you can reframe anything, it works out a lot better because I, I think once people are into a certain frame of mind, it, it's kind of easy to cartoonify them and then like be against them as a whole. And that's what we've done with a lot of things, uh-huh. you know, 
It's human nature. <laughs> it's human nature. We like a shortcut. We like, we like the automatic, you know, even we like to autocomplete. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of how I think about it. I've always been a proponent of decentralization, but it hasn't been from any of those perspectives. I, I helped start the indie web movement. The, the thing is it lacked aesthetics, you know, and it was really hard to take on, but you know, decentralization plus aesthetics, NFTs, web wallets, like right. yeah. interesting, you know? Yeah. Super cool. Well, Amber, you've been very gracious with your time. Um, I know we're a little bit over. Um, I appreciate it. I don't know. Are there any just closing thoughts that you want to share with, you know, with the audience, with builders out there, creators, advice, last parting thoughts, reasons they should be using Unlock right now? Uh, you know, feel free to to close us up here. Sure. Yeah, I would say um, the difference between uh, people who do a thing and people who do not do a thing is their intent and their planning and their research. I would work on being really asking yourself, why are you doing a certain thing? And if the answer is to make money, um, then, you know, collaborate with people that like making money, but also think that like, if you're rushing to do something because everybody else is doing it, like don't get disheartened and don't try to just do it like everybody else is doing it. Like my trick is always, I give to the community as much as I can before. Like I find out, I go into the community, listen for like the first year. Then I find out what's missing. Then I try to help projects that nobody knows about and, um, or like Calm Tech for instance. Um, and then maybe I do my own thing, but, but I feel like always when doing something new, it's a multi-year effort and it's important to like learn and then give and then something cool will happen, but it's not what you expect. And that's a much better way to go about it instead of being like, I am here to do the thing. I have a plan, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just that that kind of uh, rigidity does not work in this ecosystem. You have to you have to flow like the river. You have to be a little bit more ideally Taoist if you can um, and just, in, you know, or Zen, whatever analogy you want to throw at things uh, where you not not Taoist, D-A-O, like it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You can, yeah. I'm sure Dallas is going to be a thing also at some point. Yeah. And, and, and maybe the thing is work on the thing that you suck at the most will give you the most rewards because hybrids work better than a, a single cell organism. So awesome. thanks. Cool. Well, I mean, thank you so much for the deep philosophical thoughts. And, and, no, it, it, it's, it's great to have that, that, that they always make you like feel like totally depressed after so. <laughs> like why is it why is the sky gray <laughs> like, no. why am i making an nft drop <laughs> <laughs> it's like why am i here with greg i have no idea you know but oh, okay. uh no but i appreciate the the curiosity and and the deep insights into nfts it's, it opens up a lot more questions and uh you know opportunities and looking forward to learning more about it so and, and if you want to find out more by the way about Am uh amber it's caseorganic.com right yeah and case Your organic website. on twitter i was just checking out calmtech.com because that's that's the good one that's uh, great and then unlock is what's the url for unlock protocol uh, i think it's unlock-protocol.com yep unlock-protocol unlock -protocol. so i highly encourage everyone to check that out i've been sending tons of folks to it who have been trying to figure out how to do things um, yeah, I hope we'll send them to our Discord. We'll, we'll hang out with them and, and show Awesome. Thank you so much, Amber. It's been a pleasure having you. Uh, this is the second time I've been behind the scenes or at least involved with interviewing you. And 
two weeks now. So <laughs> wait for next. What's next so, week? <laughs> wait, next week, I'll find a way to work my way in there somewhere. Yes. <laughs> next week is East Portland, where I'm giving a talk and also performing. So oh, that sounds fun. awesome. Excellent. All right, everyone. Thank you so much, Amber. We really appreciate it. Bye-bye. See you later. All right. Now, Ken, let's just close up. Uh, coming up soon, uh, next week, well, I, you know, these, uh, we're going to change these a little bit. Uh, we do have Peter Shankman. Our friend will be joining us uh, here. Um, if you don't know Peter Shankman, you will find out all about him next week, but he is a brilliant mind. Uh, he runs a company called Shank Minds, but he used to, he's, does he still run a business called Help a Reporter Out or? No, that, that got, so, that got acquired a while back. And, uh, that was a, it's, it, I think it's still running. It's a great service. Um, obviously pairing reporters with sources and, and, and whatnot. Uh, but you know, this is a great timing because obviously we had Amber talking about NFTs and crypto and, and decentralized web. Now we have Peter who will talk about, you know, what he's up to, including his own creator coin as well. So nice little tie-in as we yeah, continue to road coin. down. About, yep. uh, he has some NFTs for sale. I believe this picture actually is actually one of his NFTs. Um, so yeah. That'll Does it be unlock very... anything special? Not yet, but you know, here's the power of this. You don't have to know up front per se, like all the things that you plan to do with it relative to the net new layers. I think there are, I, I wonder a question I did want to ask Amber, but you know, we'll, we'll chat about this at, at some other point. It, there is some seemingly because we are evolving things like um, smart contracts that were sort of limited in their scope, uh, you can't necessarily replace them. So there are some challenges, I think, in, in just figuring out how to update them um, or how to make things that supersede them over time. But um, those are just technical challenges that can be sorted out, I'm sure, over time for sure. Uh, other than that, though, we do have a great roster coming up. Join Ken and I on Friday. We already have a sheet full of news to cover for this week. Uh, we have office hours again next week. Um, as I mentioned, Peter will be here, then John Allen from Lava, and then Tom Bach, our friend, uh, on November 10th. If you would like to be a guest, by the way, feel free to head over to createdeconomy.com slash guest list. Or just go to the homepage. It's linked from there, and you can put your name in the hat. We are currently booking guests for January, uh, so uh, it'll be a little time, uh, but we hope to get to you soon. So, Ken, I don't know if you have anything else uh, before we wrap up. Uh, not really. I'm pretty sure you'll find some way to boot me off the show again. I'm. I don't know. Go figure. I have many ways to boot you off the show. I mean, come on. What? For easy things. Um, oh my god. <laughs> Anyways, right. find out how uh, how I'll get booted off next week. Yes. Tune in to see how Ken gets booted off next week. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. And we'll see you soon.